Toledo. From the Toledo Society, I am Professor Saeed Khan, and this is 1400 OMG, your guide to what the hell happened in modern Muslim history. In this series, we look into the key events in the Muslim world over the last two centuries and dig deep into some of the root causes of the situation one may find themselves in today. Over the next few episodes, we will do an exploration into the circumstances, the causes, and the effects that led to the formation of the State of Israel. Together, we will try to understand the roots of the Palestine-Israel conflict and understand this history within the broader construct of the Muslim world. Sharif Hussein, the appointed custodian by the Ottomans of the holy cities of Mecca and Medina and the governor of the province of Hejaz in Western Arabia. Despite being an Ottoman appointee for the role, Sharif Hussein no longer viewed Istanbul favorably. His hostility, a combination of anti-Turkish resentment at the restrictive Ottoman policies in the Arab provinces, as well as the related growing emergence of Arab nationalism. Hussein persuaded the British that he was their guy to lead an Arab revolt against the Ottomans. He claimed he could galvanize the Arab tribes under the banner of his family name, as he was from the same clan as the Prophet Muhammad himself, the Hashemites, or the Banu Hashem. The British were eager to support him as they saw someone who met all of the criteria that they needed. A Muslim who could lead other Muslims against the Caliph's army, an Arab who could unite the Arabs against the Turks, someone who would be very grateful, indebted, and dependent upon British resources to stay in power and to repel possible French reprisals. The British were totally comfortable with supporting a man who had ambitions to claim the Caliphate for himself with the defeat of the Ottomans. They knew he would be a Caliph on London's payroll. But the British did want to make sure that the French would be compensated for the war as well, with assets from the region, given the high cost to both France financially and nationally, as the war was being waged in Europe, much of it on French soil. These arrangements were also intended to avoid French expansion into the region, a region which the British wanted to dominate themselves. The British formalized the terms of the Arab revolt against the Ottomans in a series of 10 letters between Sharif Hussein and Arthur MacMahon, who was the British High Commissioner in Egypt. This proposed between 1915 and 1916, the prospect of independence for the Arab provinces subject to certain conditions. Despite disagreements over the status of Palestine, MacMahon agreed to territorial demands made by Hussein subject to further negotiation. And Hussein agreed that he would now initiate the Arab revolt against the Ottoman Empire. Another part of the agreement was that Hussein's sons would later become kings by their own right, and Faisal became monarch of Iraq, and Abdullah became the king of Jordan. British and Arab forces were able to expel the Ottoman military from the region in less than two years. In 1915 and 1916, the Arabs were able to stave off Ottoman advances on the Suez Canal under the leadership of the Ottoman general Jamal Pasha. In 1917, the city of Baghdad revolted and was later captured by the Arabs and the British. Similarly, later in 1917, Gaza is captured and General Allenby is able to take over the territory and ultimately to take Jerusalem. 
1918, Arab revolt forces capture Damascus, and the French naval fleet is able to seize Beirut. The Ottoman armies are now in full retreat into Anatolia, and the British army is able to occupy Istanbul and most of the Arab-speaking provinces by October of 1918, bringing an end to the war in the Middle East and also an end to the Ottoman Empire. Sykes-Picot. Now let's talk about some of the treaties which were a contributor to and a result of this conflict. First, Sykes-Picot of 1916. Sykes-Picot was a secret treaty between the French, the British, and the Russians. It was an arrangement intended to cut up the Ottoman Empire among the three countries and to alleviate tensions particularly between the British and the French, both of whom had some very strong imperialist designs. The terms of the treaty recognized France's territorial claims to Syria and divided up the Middle East. France was going to get Lebanon, Syria, and the Mediterranean coastal regions, while Britain would get Iraq, especially southern Iraq, all the way from Baghdad to the Persian Gulf, and have indirect influence from Gaza to Kirkuk. The agreement was in direct contradiction to overtures that the British had made to the Arabs in the Hussein MacMahon correspondence. Sharif Hussein's son Faisal went to Egypt to confront Lord Kitchener, the head of the British forces in the country, who denied to Faisal even the existence of the Sykes-Picot agreement. Initially, Sykes and Picot could not agree on the status of Palestine. So they decided to designate the region between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean to be an internationally governed territory. The ambiguity of the language in the Hossein MacMahon correspondence meant that Faisal would have difficulty making a compelling case that Palestine would be part of his family's expected kingdom after the war concluded. Balfour Declaration The Balfour Declaration of 1917 promised to help set up and support a Jewish community in Palestine. Lord Arthur Balfour, the British Foreign Minister, promised in a letter to Baron Walter Rothschild, a prominent British Zionist, not to undermine Jewish rights in other countries, but at the same time not to disrupt the existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine. The Balfour Declaration was the culmination of Zionist nationalist activities in Europe in response to the so-called Jewish problem. Establishment thinking in Western Europe was that Jews might settle in the newly created Soviet Union, consolidating power under the communists and posing a threat to democratic nations and their imperial interests elsewhere. While the Sykes-Picot Agreement had made the status of Palestine ambiguous, declaring it to be an international zone, things changed after the British conquered Palestine in 1917 with considerable support from the Arab forces. The British then laid claim to the territory as being a British-administered entity. They invoked the pretext of supporting the Zionist claim for a national homeland in Palestine as justification for this clear shift and breach of the Sykes-Picot Agreement by appearing to be noble and well-intended to the cause. They even went so far as cynically referencing the French treatment of the Dreyfus Affair as a reason why the British supported a Jewish homeland in the region. And while they supported a Jewish homeland, they left ambiguous whether they supported a sovereign Jewish homeland in the region. As was now quite obvious, the British didn't really care much about the Jewish claim. 
They were more driven by their strong concern about French efforts to control the region, either as a power-sharing agreement or outright. But French proximity to the Suez Canal would be too close for comfort as far as London was concerned. And when the French even tried to invoke the fact that they had territorial claims to the region dating all the way back to the Crusades, T.E. Lawrence himself reminded the French that the Crusades had ended over 600 years earlier and hadn't ended well for the French. To be fair, the British were ambivalent about whether Muslims or Jews should be in control of land where Jesus Christ once walked. But they were certainly emphatic that the French should not have it in their hands. Just a quick note regarding Toledo Society. 1400 OMG is one podcast in a network of podcasts called Toledo Society. To find out more, visit ToledoSociety.com. Weitzman agreement. Was there a moment for Jewish-Arab unity in the aftermath of World War I, and despite the overtures of the Sykes-Picot Agreement, the Balfour Declaration, and the Hussein MacMahon correspondence? The Faisal-Weitzman Agreement was signed in 1919 between Prince Faisal, the son of Sharif Hussein, and Chaim Weitzman, a leading figure in the British Zionist movement who had been influential in helping attain the Balfour Declaration. Both Faisal and Weizmann had been invited to the Paris Peace Conference held at the Palace of Versailles in early 1919 in the aftermath of World War I. The conference was to determine the fate of post-war Europe and beyond. Faisal and Weizmann were both suspicious about British and French designs on the Middle East and sought to prevent further exploitation. They supported a British mandate over the region as they conceded that neither the Arabs nor the Jews were going to gain an independent state in the short run. They also preferred the British to the French, who they didn't trust at all. Both Faisal and Weizmann were committed to the most cordial goodwill and understanding, to encourage immigration of Jews into Palestine on a large scale, but at the same time protecting the rights of Arab peasants and tenant farmers, and also to safeguard the free practice of religious observances. The Muslim holy places were to remain under Muslim control. The Zionist movement would also undertake efforts to assist Arab residents of Palestine and the future Arab state to develop their natural resources and establish a growing economy. The Faisal-Weizmann Agreement was also to create a commission after the Paris Peace Conference to agree upon a border between an Arab state and Palestine. Both parties would uphold the Balfour Declaration of 1917 with the British in charge of handling any disputes between them. The stage is now set for a clash for the land of Palestine. With Britain promising these lands to multiple parties through various treaties, they would now have to have a diplomatic solution to the problem they created. For the British and the French, they were both caught between the ancient world and the modern one. Both sought to preserve and expand their empires with new and emerging vital assets like the Suez Canal and oil. But they were both still operating with a playbook that was written during the Crusades, and it was difficult for either of them to stay on script in the current world without serious and significant backslides from the 20th century into the 12th century. At the same time, it's difficult to see the quest for Palestine as being a case for European love or hate for the Arabs and the Jews. The British and the French were much more concerned with their own strategic interests and priorities. 
Their mutual mistrust and scorching ambition to treat the Middle East as their own personal chessboard meant that the Arabs and the Jews were merely pawns in a much longer, more complex, and self-serving game. Join us next time as we dive deeper into the events leading to the formation of Israel during the aftermath of World War I. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and don't forget to let us know your thoughts. If you'd like to reach out to us, please visit ToledoSociety.com. For 1400 OMG, this is Professor Saeed Khan, your guide to what the hell happened in modern Muslim history. Toledo.